As you're well aware, we've spent three weeks dealing with the subject, the genius of Presbyterian church government. We're going to part that subject and we're going to think about just one particular sermon this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll read from verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how we ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work, and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord is with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And amen. We pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and the verse 13. It reads as follows, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And I want to speak today on the subject that I've entitled, Overcoming Weariness in Well-Doing. Now, this is a very important subject, and it demands, I believe, the most closest attention. There's 41 references in the Bible to the word weary. The first is in Genesis 27 and 14, where Rebekah said to Isaac that she was weary of life. You think of that. And the last is our text, 
2 Thessalonians 3.13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Now, this seems a very strange exhortation to God's people in Thessalonica. It may seem a very strange exhortation to us today. It may be strange, but I want to tell you, it is Scripture. The Apostle Paul, I believe, led by the Holy Spirit, put it in here to encourage God's people. And if you need encouragement today, then here's a word of exhortation for you. You see, Paul was writing to encourage God's people who were not guilty of certain sins. If we examine the context, you will notice that he flags up three specific sins. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. You see, he exposes the sin of idleness. There was people in the church and they had quit their work. They had stopped working altogether. He secondly exposes the sin of walking disorderly. He uses that term quite a bit in this epistle. Three times and one verse after the other. It's a military term. I want you to think of soldiers marching in formation, marching in order, and one or two are out of step. And of course, that is going to cause disorder in the ranks. They're not walking in step with the majority. And in a spiritual sense, when you walk disorderly, you're not walking in step with the Lord. For the steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. And the third thing he does, not only expose the sin of idleness and expose the sin of walking disorderly, but he exposes the sin of being a busybody. And you will discover, if you study the passage carefully, that all of these sins are connected. The sin of idleness that led to people living off the backs of other people, dependent on their charity, the sin of walking disorderly, the sin of being a busybody. What was the root cause of these sins? And here's the answer. False teaching about the second coming of Christ. The Lord Jesus is about to come back. The second coming of Christ is imminent. And what did the people do in Thessalonica? Well, well they stopped laboring. And they started loafing around. And they expected to be helped and supported by other believers who were continuing with their work. And they didn't have any bread to buy. Didn't have any money to buy. So, so they were going expecting handouts. And they were dependent on the Lord's dear people and it was becoming a burden. And they, after that, they spent their time gossiping around the church. And they were sowing discord among the, the Lord's dear people. And they were pressurizing others to believe like them what they believed. And they wanted others to do as they were doing. And what was the outcome? The outcome was chaos and disorder in the church. It led to division and doubt and distress and disappointment, discord, discouragement. And who was ultimately at the back of that? Well, the old devil. We're not ignorant of his devices. He was at work here 
the manifestations of the sin of idleness, the, the sin of walking disorderly, the sin of being a busybody. He, he was at the back of it. He's so subtle and so wicked. So the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this second epistle to the church of Thessalonica, he put in this command. He was led by the Holy Ghost to add this vital, spiritual, scriptural exhortation. Listen to what he said. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. He feared that God's people would get so discouraged in the church of God at Thessalonica, in the work of God, that he felt necessary to write this exhortation. Now, thankfully, the word of God is timeless. Remember, the Bible is a living and eternal word. The Lord gave the word. And great was the company of them that, that published it. And what was relevant for the church in Thessalonica is so relevant to now. It's even relevant to us here this morning in Carrie Duff FPC. Here's a matter that is so prevalent among God's people. God's people can become an hour weary and well-doing. So much so that we need to think of this command. We need to listen to this assertion. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Four things this morning. We'll try to be quick. One, the reality of weariness in well-doing. Think of these words. Brethren, be not weary. I wonder if you've ever heard of the name, young people, George Whitfield. The Whitfield College of the Bible is named after this great man of God. He was a very famous preacher from England in the 18th century. And one day he was in prayer. And he wrote this into his diary as part of his prayer. Lord Jesus, I am weary in the work. He wasn't weary of the work, but he was weary in the work. And like him, many of God's people feel a weariness in the work of God. Many of God's people are weary souls today. Is that true of you? Are you weary today? You're tired physically and mentally and emotionally and you're tired spiritually and you're tired morally of what is going on in society and you might even be tired in a financial sense. Because you're worried sick about paying your bills. You're worried sick about raising cost of oil and food and your mortgage, etc. And you're wondering, stressed out, how am I going to make ends meet? You see, many of God's dear people are weary today. And because they're weary, they have become disheartened. They have lost heart. They have lost a sense of the will to carry on. They, they, they have lost their enthusiasm. They have lost their joy. They have lost their love. They're ready to quit. Now, is that how you feel this morning? You see, this weariness among God's people, I want to tell you, it's not a myth. It's not something make-believe that I've just invented. Paul had to write about it here in the form of a command. But ye, brethren, be not weary. Why? Because there's a reality of weariness in well-doing. And if we took the word weary and did a word study and looked up all 41 references, 
We would even have to think of the time when the Lord Jesus was physically weary with his journey. Remember, he sat at noontime at the well at Sychar, outside the village of Samaria. That weariness was proof of his humanity. And I could cite instant after instant, taking Christ as an example of God's people, especially in the Old Testament, who were overcome with weariness. Too weary to continue. If you think of what Job said in Job chapter 10 and in the verse 1, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Is that where you're at this morning? My soul is weary of my life. You see, weariness is a reality. And it'll come to us all. And it'll hit us all. It'll come in different ways and in different times. But it can hit us in a moment. And you need to be watching. You need to be ready. You need to notice something else that's weary and well-doing. If we could tie it in this morning, turn over there to Galatians. We preached in this, I think, way back in 2016. Um, over there in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6. We read the context here, Galatians 6 and 9 and 10. He says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Let me share with you this morning, the devil has many things that he uses to try and frustrate and hinder the work of God. I was listening a few days ago to the Reverend Thomas Martin. I was sent an electronic version of a sermon he preached in Cumber at the very start of this year. And what I was sent was, you need to listen to this, Reverend McLaughlin. So that sort of intrigued me when somebody sends me something, you need to listen to this. Well, I, 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 I have to think about that. It depends what it is, but especially if it's a sermon, if it's the late Dr. Paisley or um, somebody else, especially within our own uh, free Presbyterian family, well, 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 I try to, to listen. So I listened to the Reverend Martin preach the introduction. Now, the introduction's a sermon in itself, but I want you to listen to what he said. I'm not going to quote it word for word. I'm going to paraphrase. The devil uses division. And where there's division and disunity, the devil has got it. And we're, we're meant to be united. But if you spell the word united, U-N-I-T-E-D, and change one letter, the letter I, it becomes untied. And the letter I speaks of self coming to the fore. And I'll tell you, once division comes into a church, it's painful. And it causes headache and trouble, especially for the office bearers. And the devil exploits division. And he uses it to stir up trouble. You think of a, a fox in the chicken house. Or if the cat get into the chicken house at Ferndale. Well, that's like the devil coming in. He loves to divide. He loves to destroy. Would the fox sit down with the chickens and say, Oh, hello, Mrs. Chicken. Lovely to see you today. And Have you laid any eggs recently? Have you got any baby chicks? No, that fox would go straight for that mother hen. And the cat would do the same. 
And that's what the devil does. He's out to destroy and to divide the fellowship of God's people. He's good at it. He's 6,000 years of experience. He's out to destroy families. And our objective, our aim should be to keep the devil out, just like a farmer keeps the cat or the fox out of the chicken house. We should seek to maintain a spirit of unity. We should have a deep love and respect for each other. What does Paul say here? He writes, but ye brethren. Everybody in Thessalonica was Paul's brother and sister in Christ. And he had a love and respect for them. Reverend Martin went on to say the devil uses defilement. The devil doesn't, of course, make us sin, but he tempts us. He throws suggestions into our mind. He whispers things into our ears. We learned from Brother Noel yesterday. A very successful weapon. And, and of course, when, when defilement is, uh, uh, comes to the fore and we give in to that temptation and there's sin in the camp and it's unrepented of and it's unchecked, then, then it spoils the people of God. It spreads among the people of God. And you take big scandals that have come into the church, the, the Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, on all of these child abuse cases and the cover-up. I know that's extreme, but, but, but any form of defilement can spoil and harm the work of God. The devil uses distractions. Have we not lost a sense of priority in the free Presbyterian church to the Lord and to his cause? Where's the Davids that stood and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a lack of vision? A lack of foresight so that we can move the work on? You, you think of our children's ministry, our, our outreach, our various meetings and missions that we have planned. You see, the work of God's important. Jesus said, I wish you not, I must be about my father's business. And the house of God matters. And we need to stop giving attention to other things and making other things a priority and making up excuses. And we need to unite around a common priority to set aside all these distractions and out of love for Christ and the glory of God, move the work of God forward. I'll tell you something else. The devil uses doubt. And isn't there not much doubt today about what God can do? Have we left the Lord out of the picture? Is he the missing piece from the jigsaw? You see, let me ask a few questions. Can God bring new families into this work? We have lost a lot of people to death. A lot of people are now in the nursing home. We have empty pews here. I don't believe the Lord has given us this building to mock us. To see it dwindle away to nothing. Can the Lord bring new families in, folks? Brethren, pray for us. Can the Lord save the children? Can the Lord add to the Sunday school? Is it not discouraging? It is to the people involved. It is to me. Whenever we see but two and three and four little children in the Sunday school, the, the children's meeting, it's down from maybe 30 in its heyday now, last year, down to, to 15, 16, maybe 17. You see, when these things happen, I'll tell you what happens. The devil uses doubt. And, 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 and he uses that spirit of unbelief. We say, it's not going to happen. I don't believe it. And we give up. You, you think of another area. Can the Lord provide enough money to finish this whole building? What do we need? 
You who are office bearers now and wanting to become office bearers, are you thinking about what we need to go forward? I'm going to tell you what we need. We need at least three to four hundred thousand pounds. Now, where's that going to come from? The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver and the gold in the mines is his. And we have got to depend on him. And we have got to have faith in God. But I'll tell you something, we can't stay as we are. We've got to move this work on to finish all the work on the outside. And that has to be a priority. We we have got to attempt great things for God. We have got to expect great things for God. And you see, I'm old enough and long enough in the Free Presbyterian Church now. I've been your minister for 24 years. And I can honestly say I love this congregation. You're on my heart. My hair hasn't gone white yet. But I want to tell you, I've spoken to some senior men. I have spoken to, to some junior men. And whenever I hear that we don't need prayer meetings, I tremble. And I mean that. And we don't need gospel missions. We have enough services in the free church. Then I begin to tremble. There's no need of a week of meetings. Do you know what one man said who remained nameless? They're a waste of time. The prayer meeting, a week of mission, or two weeks, or a week of meeting, a waste of time. A lot of nonsense. That, that individual has lost sight of the value of one precious soul. We need extensive outreach. We need more prayer meetings. We need half nights of prayer. And we need to get fasting before the Lord and crying out, Lord, help thou us. I'll tell you another thing the devil uses. He uses doctrine. False doctrine. Focusing on the secondary issues. Oh, if I had a pound for every time that some soul spoke to me about the nitty gritty of baptism. I'm not saying... The sacrament of baptism isn't important. Nitty-gritty things like the kind of bread we use in communion. Well, you shouldn't be using ormo bread. And you shouldn't be using soda bread. Or unleavened. And, and, and you know what? It's, it's missing the bigger picture. Because whether it's short bread or soda bread. Or whether it's pan loaf. It's, it's pointing to Christ, the bread of life. I, I know a church in Peterhead. And it's split into four. 120 believers into four. One Sunday morning over that very issue. They fell out with the type of bread that should be used at the communion service. Details about the second coming. Arguing about the free offer of the gospel. Should we call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ? Absolutely. The Lord Jesus said. Listen to John 6 and 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh, I will no ways cast out. If you want to be saved, and there's a desire in your heart to cry unto Christ, Lord, save me, I perish. Lord, forgive my sin. Then the Lord will hear that prayer. Oh, we waste so much time. Because the devil uses secondary issues. We take our eyes of Christ. We begin to forget to focus on the love of Christ. I'll tell you something else. The devil uses disappointment. An empty promise. I've had so many people that have given empty promises. And when you get an empty promise, then you're let down. You're hurt. 
You expected more because the person that gave you the promise, you looked up to them. And you expected them to keep your word. And for 24 years, I have lived with disappointment. And some of them have been bitter. And we've had to bring them to the Lord. But what about the disappointment of broken relationships? Where, where, where at the altar, two people pledged to love each other till death is due part. And then there's been a breakdown. I don't love you anymore, dear. I don't love you, husband. And that is shattering. And broken friendships, where, where people have said something and, and you've been so hurt and let down that there's been a breach in that friendship. And they're not your friends anymore. In fact, you're almost viewing them as an enemy. Does the devil not use discord? Here's a, a sin that Paul highlights busybodies. What does that mean? Somebody going about gossiping, somebody tail bearing. Somebody coming to me and saying, do you know what that other fella said about you, Mr. McLaughlin? Maybe I shouldn't be telling you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You see, if you've heard something about somebody else, I want to give you a wee piece of advice. Don't go to them and tell them. Keep it to yourself. Pray about it. Leave it before the Lord. But certainly don't go and tell them to hurt them. Because that's what you're doing. You're, you're traumatizing them and then you're, you're affecting their relationship with that person who has spoken ill about them. I remember a man saying to me something about one of our ministers that he was worse than Antichrist and I was cut. I can tell you I was hurt. And I said to that man before I left the home, brother, I'm going to give you a bit of advice. You get down your knees tonight and you pray. You asked by name for that minister and you pray, Lord, bless that minister. And you forget about what he's doing because he was arguing with me about the free offer of the gospel. He's the Lord's servant to his own master. He stands or falls. You pray for him and ask God's help and blessing. And if God blesses him, God will bless you. And maybe someday you'll sit under the ministry and you'll thank God for his ministry. See, the devil uses discord. The impact People could be smiling in your face, but seething inside to push the knife in. Does that go on in the Christian community? See, I, I could speak, as Reverend Martin did, a list of successful tools that the devil uses to cause you to be weary. But he, he, here's the final one that he mentioned. The devil uses discouragement. And that's one of the most successful in the work of God. You see, it's difficult to overcome discouragement. If your heart and mind become so discouraged, it'll be hard to carry on. You think of a boxer, and he's fighting in a ring. Round one, bell. Round two, the bell. Round three, the bell. Round four, round five, round six. And he becomes so weak that he can't carry. He's almost clinging on to his opponent. See, he's got so weary. And that's where that phrase throwing in the towel comes because his um, team that are supporting and helping him in the boxing ring, they're throwing the towel in for him. So the fight is over. And how much discouragement there is among God's people that they've lost heart to the point they can't be bothered anymore and they've lost the will to carry on. The reality of weariness in well-doing. Notice 
If you look at the text, it says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Here's the reach of well-doing. What's the opposite of well-doing? Well, it's evil-doing. A life of sin and wickedness. The opposite of a life of sin and wickedness is a life of saintliness and worth. How do we describe God's people? How do we describe or sum up the Christian life? Is it not a a people who are involved in well-doing? See the word well-doing in that English translation? It's one word in the Greek, young people. The word well means good and excellent. Remember the Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. That, that, that good is intrinsic. It's, it's, it's pure and of excellent value. And the, 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 the word doing um, uh, speaks of work. And you've got to think then of the characterization of the whole of the Christian life. If a person is redeemed by precious blood, if a person has chosen Christ before the foundation of the world, and they spend the whole of their entire life in well-doing, then that's a a well-doing man or a well-doing Christian. And see, being a true Christian involves a life of well-doing from beginning to end. What sort of good things? One of the areas involved in well-doing is work, physical employment, work around the house or the community. God made us to work. It's a creation mandate. Uh, Why do we work? Well, we do it because the love of God is in our heart. We do it out of love to the Lord. We, We do it for God's glory. We have a good work ethic because that's a witness. That's a noble calling. Not only um, work is a good thing, but uh, hospitality and, and, and charitableness is another good work. Loving and helping and serving other people. Prayer. Um, Luke 18 verse 1, uh, the Lord Jesus encouraged us that we should uh, continue and persevere in, in a, a spirit of prayer. May I not always to pray and not to faint, he said. The preaching of the word, that's a great ministry. Attending to the Sabbath services on the Lord's day. The worship of God. Remember to be involved in the gospel. Uh, over there in Romans chapter uh, 10, I believe it's in verse 15, he says, And how shall they preach except to be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Glad tidings of good things. <coughs> That's part of the gospel. Not only an interest in the ministry of the word of being preached, but a ministry in evangelism. An interest in winning souls. The whole congregation can be involved. Your personal testimony and witness, your life, your lip, out of love for him as opportunity arises. What about Bible study? Give attention to the reading of the word and the study of the scriptures. And he's saying, do not grow weary in well-doing. In these areas that I've mentioned, doing work of a good and excellent nature, Is that your priority? Is that your purpose in life? That you have an eye to well-doing? Remember the gospel changes and transforms our lives. The gospel does men and women good and young people. And because God has done good to you. 
and you have tasted of God's good things, then you're able then to rise up in the strength and power and grace of God to do good unto all men, especially them to the household of faith. Because God has brought a good work, has begun in your soul. The reach of weariness and well-doing, if you become weary to the point of being tired and exhausted and ready to quit and lose heart, then you'll stop well-doing. That's how extensive it is. It'll impact on your work, your employment. It'll impact on your hospitality and your charitable exercises. It'll impact on your life of prayer. It'll impact on your holiness and sanctification. It'll impact on the ministry of the word of God. It'll impact on the uh, evangelistic effort and outreach that you put into reaching other souls for Christ. It'll impact on the Lord's Day, your Bible study. It'll impact on every area of life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And your moral judgment will even be clouded. You'll find it hard to keep going. Do you find it hard to keep going this morning? Do you have many unfulfilled expectations? You see, many churches, many Christians, we pray and we labor and we work hard and we, we try to get on in the Christian life. But if you're laboring not seeing a single soul saved, if you're seeing not seeing a single visitor come in to the, the congregation and you've prayed and you've labored and you've cried unto the Lord, think of the mainland, think of Scotland, think of Wales, when the work seems so unrewarded and so unproductive, then the reach of it right into your soul, it causes weariness. Let me tell you this, we'll have to finish. Just with an illustration, I'm not going to preach the rest of the sermon. Here's a lady called Florence Chadwick. Reverend Martin mentioned this lady. This is the first woman to swim, I believe, the English Channel. And she was attempting to swing, swim to the California coast from some particular island. And um, she was 15 hours in the water. And before she reached the California coast, there was a dense fog come down. And she couldn't see but a few feet. She could hear the people in the boat call out, do you want to come into the boat? Are you still there? Are you okay? A big giant whale hasn't swallowed you up. They were trying to keep her spirits up. And after 15 hours, now swimming in, in dense fog in the sea, she cried out, take me on board. And when they arrived at the harbor at California coast, they discovered when she came on board, there were only one half mile from the coast. Now she's lying in the boat exhausted when they reached the shore. These reporters were there to take their photograph. There always is someone available. They wanted to get a good shot right into the boat, long angle lens. And they were saying, Florence, what happened? And in a crooky voice and her weakness, she said, it was the fog. I was swimming to reach the harbor, but I couldn't see the land. And I couldn't see any lights. And because of the denseness of the fog, I thought I was too far out and I couldn't go on and give up. And how many of God's people are like that? They don't see the end result. And therefore they lose vision. Even if they're within reach of a harvest, a full harvest of precious souls. In your weariness, when it reached that point where you can't go on, then this is what I want you to do. And I say this in closing. Let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him, who is our salvation, let's ask him for strength. I pray every morning, the Lord is the strength of my life. Lord, help me to carry on. You see, I believe like, Noel told us yesterday, the devil's a liar. The devil tells us here in Carried Off, you're not going to see progress. 
You're, you're, you're not going to see families come in. You're not going to see souls saved. You're not going to see the Lord's blessing. You're, you're not going to see the fulfillment of dreams. But I want to tell you, the devil's a liar. And I believe the Lord is about to give us the full harvest. I can say, I believe God. And I want you to believe God with me. And I'm saying this, don't quit. Don't be weary in the size of the work. There's so much to be done. Don't be weary in the struggles of the work. Even if we have death taking away loved ones and numbers decline and we've lost a few families. Like the disciples, they toiled all night and caught nothing. But, but let's cast out the net on the right side of the ship. Let's not be weary in speech about the work. See, let me say this. This work is only as good as the people that run it. And I, I'm not disparaging that. It's only as good as the people that run it. And I'm only one person. And the elders and deacons that were appointed, they're men in their own right. We need good elders. We need good deacons. We need men who'll take on the burden of the work. Men of faith, men of vision, men who are prayer warriors, men who are full of the Holy Ghost, men who have got foresight to push the work on. We don't want just to go through the motions. We want those who care about the work. See, sometimes I get wee snippets of information. man told me this just a few days ago. Kaidoff's finished, brother. Kaidoff's in life support. Wake up. Smell the coffee. So I said to him, well, brother, what do you want me to do? Should we just turn the lights off and close the door and say it's no more? But is that the Lord's will? See, we need the Lord's help. We need the Lord to come. But we need to pray. We need to encourage one another. I would say, let's, let's not badmouth the work of God. Let's lift up the work of God before the Lord. Let's cry, Lord, help thou. Isn't it so easy to criticize? You'll have your opportunity now in this election that's coming up. God is sovereign. I believe should work providentially. I believe is a plan and purpose. We leave it in his lap. We say the will of God be done. I could talk this morning about the result of weariness and well-doing. God's people will faint and fall, and many have. They lose their grip on the work of God. The chorus of God, the house of God, the Christ of God, the throne of God, the word of God. And we've lost our grip. We've lost our first love. Indifference creeps in. A looseness creeps in. And what's the remedy for weariness in the house of God? Obey this command. Get sight of God's power again. Get sight of God's promise. Get sight of God's provision. Get, get a hold of, of God's patience and pity. That's the answer. That's the remedy.